0: Thank you I had no idea that the word "person" had its origin in the theater. Um, when I read that, like it was so cool because I I knew where persona came from, but I never made the connection between persona and person, which is which is great. I, you know, somehow it gives me a a pleasure, or like a childish pleasure to be um, to call myself, involved in the theater. Like, damn, you know, people involved in the theater are people than you know that literally people like in the literal sense of the word
1: it was yeah i was quite surprised by that too like to to know that the latin word persona was this mask that actors wore but then it was in fact the stoic philosophers who like instrumental in bringing about this notion of persona to like a, a person being a moral and legal entity so to speak and that was like Crazy cool because I was like, hold up, <laughs> how have I never thought about like um, where the word or the notion of. I mean, it feels like it's intuitive, but this was like a a good um, uh, a did you know sort of trivia um, uh, bit. And strangely enough, this wasn't the only surprising thing that this paper brought up. Like I feel like this paper was full of surprises, and and the biggest one being that um, when I looked at the title of the paper, which is our non-human animals persons, a process theistic response. Um, I was kind of already um, um, intrigued by the word theistic, and I say intrigued in a positive manner, but I was more, uh, hmm, because I, I figured a theistic response would be very um, um, not positive for a for a lack of better words. in. A notion of or a concept of personhood that it would be um pretty um or it would be based on the notion of god or it would be very anthropocent <laughs> i always struggle with the word anthropocent whatever you get <laughs> it's very anthropocentro- human centered <laughs> yes thank you um it would be very human centered but i was genuinely surprised by a lot of the views um, that were presented in the paper, and um, a lot of a lot of what I currently cu- currently hold um, is sort of the view that process theism um, puts forward, and and a lot of it is quite logically um, consistent too.
0: Yeah, that's the key word, isn't it? Process theism. So even I, when I uh, think of theism generally, I associate it with religion. And that's what made me sort of by default a, <laughs> averse to um, the, the, the title of the paper, which was A non Human Animals Person, the Process Statistic Response, like you said. I, I, uh, immediately, the red flags go up in my mind saying, oh, well, this is going to be like a religious, um, God made humans response. And, and all of that stuff. So I didn't really know that process theism was a the thing. I didn't know how it was different from, um, I like guess, standard theism, right? So uh, process theism, just, just for the sake of clarity, is a philosophical worldview which holds that the only eternal thing is change. Or if I can if I can call it um, a substance, so the only eternal uh, thing, Substance is changed. So in traditional metaphysics, there have been theories which claim eternal substances. For example, the essence of uh, Shri or the essence of Devan would not change, even if we were diagnosed with like terminal cancer or something. Um, we wouldn't abruptly decide to call each other not us. We'd still be us. Somehow we retain. Uh, our inner innate sense of who we are and what we are so that's the eternal substance as I understand it however if you were a process philosopher you would say that the essences of things are always changing and that it is impossible to come up with a spatio-temporally consistent uh, thing or, or like a theory of knowledge about the world which would tell you what the substances are so you know t- take for example the the example of uh, of god right as changing or eternal that's all to to a process theist that would be rubbish because in fact god is affected by temporality and and god also evolves with time
1: yeah that was certainly the most one of the most interesting things right about this notion of what a god would be in a process theistic like framework because i just assume god to be uh, always this being that has access to um, um a future right this this great being god god being this great being um that is greater than all and and in fact in classical theism um that he pits against this um view uh, that hume russell and uh, Buddhists held so so what he does in this paper um, is that he presents us two extremes? One being um, this view of um, temporal existence put forth by Hume, Russell, and Buddhists, and, Buddhist, and on the other end was the the other extreme with the classical theists who believed that um, like God had access to um, the future, and that's that's obviously a view we've we've encountered before too, and it's a pretty common um, belief as well. But to look at the response that uh, process theism has to to what it means for God to have access to time it was really interesting. And let me just read this line out, which was, to claim to know or to claim that God knows future contingencies as already actualized is a type of nascence that fails to come to grips with future contingencies in their contingency. And even though the last, last bit is a little confusing, I find that like a really um, unique uh, view which is i it makes sense right that why would god have access to or uh, rather <laughs> i feel like the answer that's really simple it's just it's god but this view is something i've never come across before which is that god doesn't have access to an actualized future god definitely has um, an extended access to the past events in the past beings in the past and perhaps an extended knowledge of the present too but God only has access to um, future possibilities or probabilities Um, and this notion of what God has access to a notion of God becomes pretty crucial in classical theism when we're talking about personhood too as like um, the author points out later Um, but this was quite a shocker I mean yeah I, I guess shocker would be appropriate but
0: yeah yeah you know because the thing about god is that we normally think of god as removed from time or existing outside of time so the question is whether god experiences the flow of time but does not get affected by it or whether god shapes time or creates time in some ways but it, and and what i'm leading with this is if God had access to uh, a future as actualized and as already realized then it would not I mean wouldn't it mean that it is always now it is as in (laughs) everything is happening at the same time like it is always always does that make sense say that again if so if god had access to the future that to a future that already happened or the future that is going to happen rather than a set of possibilities that could happen that would mean that it is always always like it's everything that is happening or everything that will happen is already happening at the same time and that's where the the classical theistic view comes from, right? Because if God has access to so much knowledge about what is certainly going to happen, then it, it would certainly mean that it is all happening concurrently.
1: Hmm. I've never really thought about that, but I'm not able to picture why the temporal element of events, taking place would be lost if something is determined uh, even in the universe of god having actualized access to actualize an actualized future why would it be the case that everything all events would happen simultaneously or everything events in time would happen um, in one moment so to speak if i hope i'm understanding you correct as compared to like a linear progression of events based on a past, present, and a future?
0: Oh, I'm saying that because um, if we consider the future as determined, then then we're really dissolving the boundaries of what an event is, right? So if the future is determined, then it would certainly mean that every event that precedes it, or every event that is a cause of the determined future will happen as well so it's only a matter of time until we reduce that further to every event is essentially the same event because it's all leading up to the same sort of conclusion so everything that must happen for that event to take place that determined future to take place is already happening right so i mean if 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 we believe in a, in a deterministic future of of god knowing these things then every event that leads up to that could be considered part of the event itself
1: i see what you mean i see
0: yeah i suppose
1: but i feel like i would also need to i mean i need to think about this a little more but um like how we would how how then we would understand what constitutes like a moment because then in that case we might we might lose the causal chain of um relations right of what causes what because then nothing would cause anything it would just be one event so to speak um and then what it would mean for that event that one continuous simultaneous occurring event to exist in time would be um it, w- it would be interesting to define what a moment would be in that case and because right now it's a little hard to like wrap my head around and i'm sure i have to think about this too but um to understand that causal link between events which probably might not exist but yeah
0: you know i just realized (laughs) that we've inadvertently linked the classical theistic view with the human view like we said that if everything is leading up to one determined future then i mean you just said that how do we establish causal relationships and how do we define a moment and things like that how do we know what causes what and that's kind of what hume was getting at also which is that you cannot establish that and therefore things just happen without any causal relationships and i didn't even think of that when i was saying it it just happened
1: yeah i yeah i don't i don't think i i thought of that too it's
0: yeah it's strangely similar to
1: what hume said right with uh, with this point of like drops of experience so to speak and so um and anyway, before before we like jump into like defining what Hume uh, and what the classical um, theist said, it's really crazy how um I agree with like a lot of like metaphysical claims. Like it's strange that this paper on personhood began with metaphysical claims because I just expected it to be like straightforward, you know, um a person is this, a person is that, so to speak. Um, and I didn't expect it to begin with like like a metaphysical understanding of uh, temporal relations, and I, I suppose it makes sense because like Daniel Dombrowski, um who who is the author of this paper, I, I suppose is an expert in metaphysics. I I don't know, but uh, when I was going through um, his Wikipedia page, it said that he was the president of the Metaphysical Society of America, which I suppose is a pretty big deal. Um, but yeah, it was yeah. really
0: interesting. It
1: was a really interesting beginning to like personhood um, as a concept.
0: Yeah, I had no idea that was the thing, by the way. And I mean, he, I think he, he it's pretty safe to call him an expert. Um, but yeah, the the fact that it's more metaphysical than, say, uh, ethical or, or logical or whatever is... It's quite surprising because I've never... Even the previous paper that we read um, about personhood, the one about abortion, it's it's not as grounded in metaphysics as this one. I mean, sure, it does have a few elements of it when you think of what it means to be X or Y, but uh, it was mainly based on um, like a real-world sort of materialist view of, uh, of fetuses and 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 you know it, it's a it's a paper about abortion after all but this one th- its metaphysical tendency made me realize a lot of things that that I hadn't realized before like some arguments that it presents about how we define a person okay so basically this but per- this paper is also about personhood it's primarily about personhood about whether non-human animals are people or persons rather uh and a lot of the ideas presented i had to agree with they were quite um they were really convincing and he writes really convincingly so at at first glance it might seem like um well, where is this paper going? What is, what's happening? And why is he bringing in all of these classical theistic views and the these uh, Humean views and all of that? But, but eventually it builds up to his process theistic understanding of a person, which just makes so much sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the way it actually ties in together is really interesting. So what he explains is Hume, Russell, and the Buddhist view is that our present experience, this momentary drop of experiences, and I, I, I really like that phrase. It's such a, I don't know, it's very poetic, but this, these, it uh, this It is, stance, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's um, just also, so,
0: before you continue, there's this one line also that I really liked about drops of experience. The drops of experience in the present are not causally connected to what came before or to what might come after. Hence, there is insufficient temporal or causal connectedness in this view to glue together a person. Like it's it's just so well written, dude. That was exactly the
1: line I was just gonna read, and that that explains this notion of like this view, like this view so well that we don't have any causal connectedness with the past or with the future, um, and it becomes really hard then to piece together what it means to be a person because we don't have insufficient. Um, we, we don't have sufficient causal connectedness in every moment, and that's really interesting. Interesting, and I feel like um, I've experienced, I've, I've um, been introduced to a little bit of like Buddhist idealism and um, th- their conception of a non-soul, uh, but I haven't ever experienced you, uh, a lot. Yeah, more could of, you
0: could you just tell us what that is a little bit? Because I haven't really. I mean, I've read a little bit of Buddhist philosophy, but not. I don't know what you mean by the non-soul.
1: Yeah, so, so Buddhists are of the view that um, we don't really have, we, we as people are illusions so to speak, and so if we want to exp, um, uh, leave uh, the cycle of suffering, it doesn't make sense to believe that our objects of desire are illusions, but it makes more logical sense to believe that we as people are logical, are, are actual illusions, and so what they hold in fact is that we're what the Buddhists hold is that we're streams of consciousness um, and um, that's essentially their view it's that there is and, and that's their view of non-soul I know I could do a better job of it but I need to also brush up a little bit on um, their exact view but that's essentially what it is and uh, maybe in, in another episode one when we we could like look at this view and I could <laughs> by that time uh, do a little do, do a better job of explaining the view in more detail but and so, what they hold, what the Buddhists hold, essentially, is that um, we're streams of consciousness, um, as compared to um, like beings who exist in um, continued existence. Like we have a continued existence. Um, it's it's that in every moment we're a different uh, entity, so to speak. Nothing about um, what I am right now stays exactly the same in the next moment all that are left behind are traces or um or something traces of memory of karma of um of um well for now memory and karma for example those are the traces that join or or have um can be used to explain how karma for example um can be linked to this one momentary moment of existence that is me right now to the next moment which is completely different from me it's it's another entity so to speak um and so this this also sort of ties in with their uh, idealist uh, view which is that things don't exist um outside of our mind that nothing that we see outside is real all we all that we we perceive are objects or uh, images of uh, that are in our mind um and this is quite an extreme view of like um, of objects existing, but it's really it's, it's quite interesting. And I and I hope I I can do a better job of explaining it. Uh, and maybe we can talk about this too. And by then I can I would have brushed up a little more on the view. Um, but it's really it's it's quite fascinating to think about how people exist or persons can exist, especially. And so this this notion of traces sort of makes sense in. Um, how we can have uh, a continued, not a continued existence, but at least some semblance of continuation of how we can be linked to our memories and our past. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm quite interested in knowing like Hume's and Russell's um, sort of view on why we're drops of experiences alone.
0: Yeah, I think that can be connected a little bit to what Hume believes about um I guess, causality in general, because uh, it might help to think of it in in terms of Hume's theory of constant conjunction, I think it's called. So two events that happen, that that we say are causally linked, just happen to occur at the same time, at all times. So when I... uh, Say when I, uh, I don't know, when I tip a glass of water over, the water spills. So I would think from a Humean perspective that the water spilling and me tipping the glass over are causally connected. But maybe Hume would hold that, well, those two things are just two drops of experience that always seem to happen at the same time. Which is why we can say that they're causally connected, but all they do is happen at the same time.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting, and maybe we could actually spend some time um, reading about this. And you can tell yeah, me a little more a, about the human. Yeah,
0: it's really weird. Also, it's a very hard thing to wrap your head around,
1: <laughs> for sure. Yeah, it goes it goes like against like our normal intuition exactly. on what it means to yeah be. But anyway, the 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 other extreme of this is the the classical theistic view is um, and he uses um, uh, Gottfried Leibniz as Leibniz. Uh, Gottfried. Got, got, OK, see, I said it. I think I said it right the first time. But
0: <laughs> yeah, um, it's OK. It's, it's a hard just, name to pronounce. <laughs> even I, I don't even I, I don't even know if it's like Leibniz or Leibniz or what. Because he's German or something, yeah. isn't he? i think so yeah
1: but let's just uh, pretend that i i did pronounce it right and so that was the view of uh, an example of like the classical theistic view um and which is essentially that we are causally related to the past and that's a pretty believable view but also that the future is or yeah so so the chain of events is the future um causes our present right now which is a little strange to think about. So it makes sense that the past causes the, the present, but it's a little strange to think that the future also causes the, the present. But this makes sense in a classical theistic framework because there is an actualized determined future because God exists. And within this future, um, and I'm, I'm quoting um, Dombrowski here, uh, any being who is a person would be eternally known as such by a divine being and this divine being essentially would be God
0: yeah so if if something is a person at one time in a classical theistic view it would be a person at all times because God would know it to be to be a person he would know it as such but the funny thing is that uh, in most I guess classical theistic Views, even though it isn't, even though classical theistic philosophy is not the same as religion, um, a lot of classical theism did influence the Abrahamic religions and uh, vice versa. So, um, in most Abrahamic religions, people would hold that God made humans in uh, quote-unquote His image. Uh, so, so it's it's both. Uh, supporting and contradicting itself by saying that if something is a person then it is always a person so I see two possibilities arising out of that right classical theism cannot evolve it cannot ever hold that non-human animals are people or it can but that would mean reimagining the notion of um god or time or something like that. But I, I think it's, it's, it's that classical theistic philosophy would have to be consistent, like, temporally.
1: Yeah, and I really like this this later bit in the paper and we'll, we'll eventually get to, where, um, like, uh, Dombrowski explains how the classical theistic view can't accommodate um, non-human animals as persons because of this notion of humans being created in the image of in in the image of God. And that's really that's really interesting and um, quite fantastic. But um, this example that he shares, I found really like helpful in imagining um, these two extremes, which was this example of a door hinge. So I'll just read that out. Suppose a carpenter were to insist that if hinges on one side of a door are good, hinges on both sides would be better. So he hangs the door by hinging it on both sides, and then it appears that the hinges cannot function, so that the door is not a door, but a wall. We'll fix that, says another carpenter, and removes all the hinges. So now the door is again not a door, but a board lying on the floor. This is how I see the famous controversy about internal and external relations. Um, And that was quite quite funny, to be honest, and it kind of makes sense, too. Um, which is that you've, you've either got full external causality or none at all. Um, and then you're just a floating moment or, I'm I'm just going to say it again because I like saying it, a drop of existence.
0: Um, yeah, it's a fun phrase to say, drop of, drop of experience, drop of existence. Um, yeah, I, I actually, I thought when I was reading it, that that was a pretty, stupid example like that's a bad analogy to draw but i just realized what it meant like after you read it (laughs) because like a wall is continuous it's it's it doesn't have any breaks in it but then a plank on the floor is not continuous now i realize that's what it means like yeah finally got it but um the thing about the thing about that about classical theism and about uh the Hume. I don't know, I, like we're saying Humean, but is there a more non-philosopher specific term for that, that philosophy? Like, is it, I mean, classical theism is not a phrase that's connected to one philosopher, but I wonder if there's a, there's a phrase that describes the Humean philosophy without using Hume's name.
1: I'm sure there is, but I'm, I'm not familiar with it.
0: Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, same. Anyway, so the, the the implications, I guess, of both the Humean and the classical theistic views on personhood uh, are, are that they're both incompatible with personhood. So, like you said, the, the, in, in, in classical theism, one would believe that the person is devi- defined by divinity that is, there is an essential substance to persons and that substance always is. I mean, we've seen that idea countless times, right? In in early modern philosophers' writings, like, um, I, I know Descartes was influenced highly by religion and things. But here, the the problem is that non-human animals cannot be persons because of the divine connotations of human beings being fashioned in the image of God. Um, and on, on the other hand, Humean views of, Non-causality, I guess, or experiences of the world being purely externally externally related in both directions does not also lend itself to any concrete idea of personhood because there is nothing in non-causality that allows for a person to come into existence in the first place. Because if nothing causes anything, then what causes a person? I mean, that's how I understood it. A person in the way that we understand it as a combination of different features that are in many ways causally and temporally linked uh, temporally consistent and causally linked in other words so if there is none of that then how does a person even come into existence in the first place
1: yeah that's really interesting and I also find that um, with the notion of classic theism um, it becomes really hard to like like, um, create person so to speak because it's just on the whim of God and this line that um, reads that, um, in in the sense that they are, I'm going to quoting Dombrowski, in the sense that they are, pre, in that they pre-exist in the divine mind, can be brought into existence or destroyed only by the fiat of the omnipotent God of classical theism, and that's like quite um, arbitrary, so to speak, which is that if God decides that something is a person or creates an entity such that that, like it's a person, then on, on, only then will that entity be a person. So none of the attributes of um, of a person can logically be um, used to imply that something is a person. It's only when the intent of God to create something as a person can e- exist, only then will a person be a person, um, which really makes us wonder also that um, how, how do we know for sure that humans are persons except that we're created in the image of God. Is that alone um, enough um, of a, or is that sufficient enough to tell us that humans are persons? Because, sure, humans are created in the image of God, and and again, I don't I don't know how if that that claim is strong enough to defend the position that we're persons. But what if God never intended for humans to be person, persons? What if God created humans to be non-persons? right what then are we then not persons
0: yeah i mean but that's also i mean that's a function of holding a classical theistic view right i mean also i'm taking for granted the fact that we as humans uh, in our linguistic cultures came up with the term person that's let's just take that for granted right now but but if God did not intend humans to be persons, then we wouldn't be persons. It's as simple as that, I think. But the thing is, there's so much hubris attached to a classical theistic view, or maybe a, a an Abrahamic religious view, or any religious view. Okay, not any religious view, but more like a creationist in the image of God religious view. There's so much hubris attached to that, that humans could never be anything but persons. What do you mean? Of course humans are persons. Persons are the ultimate sort of existence. Of course we were created in the image of God. And that's why I think process theism is much more, um, uh, a person is much more likely to be defined broadly in a process theistic view because a person is, uh, and I quote, one whose experiences are temporally ordered in the same psychological line of inheritance. Right, that is their mental states are not fixed, but they're conditioned temporally, like Daniel Dombrowski says.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you like touched on this um, <clears throat> idea of um, what it would mean to be a person in in like this um, process theistic universe because it seems intuitively, uh, like you said, broader and and much more accommodating. And I feel like um, there's so much more to talk about. We've um in in process theism so we've we've spoken about right now the metaphysics of um the two extremes we've spoken about what a person means or what a person would be or rather is in these two extremes and um, i think that this would be a great place to stop and um in our next episode we could um not we could we will begin by um talking about the metaphysics of process theism, what it would mean for temporal existence, and then also talk about this really fantastic, according to me, view of what a person is and how accommodating it is of persons um, in the next episode.
0: Yep. Uh, so far, we've just touched up, touched upon some of the... I guess opening comments of the paper but next time we'll be getting into the arguments proper so stay tuned it's going to be a fun one and um, you know we've certainly had fun and we hope you will as well see you next time bye bye